0: This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station.
1: All right, Skin Caden Breckenridge on News Talk 770. This is our Highlights podcast. On the program today, we talked about what it means to be a journalist and who should have access to government news conferences. Heather Boyd is a former journalist. The government asked to review all of this, so we talked to her about her findings and her recommendations. We also
0: talked about uh, Canadian content on television and Canadian TV programming in general. Apparently, we got to save our culture by saving Canadian TV production. Uh, but do Canadians really care where their entertainment is made, or do they just want to watch a good show? Listen to our program, please nine thirty to twelve thirty on News Talk seven seventy. Hi, welcome back. I am Roger. That's Rob. Uh, two guys who have never covered a NDP government uh, event. No, I've
1: not, not been to one yet. Okay, good. I was it's been a long time since I've, I've been to a news conference. Actually, back to my uh, reporter days, but. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Now, th- this whole story blew up when I was away. Mm-hmm. I missed all the fun. But uh, Rebel Media, which is this online news and commentary site that Israel started up, they, they'd had some run-ins where their, their people were removed from or turned away from government news conferences. And so they they'd sent a lawyer, or a letter through a lawyer to, to the government saying, hey, what's going on? You know, people want to come cover this stuff. And uh, it was pretty to the point, that uh, the government maintains that uh, anyone associated with the rebel is not a journalist and is not allowed to access these events. Uh, a few days later, the government said, "You know, yeah, well, that, that was that was not good." Uh, so they they backed down, and then they said, "Well, let's review this. Let's you know try to figure out who constitutes a journalist. How should this whole process work?"
0: So they hired one. <laughs> They went and they asked our next guest to uh, to be the person who who would assist them in uh, in figuring this stuff out. Our guest is Heather Boyd, former Western Canada bureau chief for the Canadian Press, and has just uh, I guess finished up this project with the Alberta government. Uh, Heather, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Thank you, Rob and Roger. Hi.
0: Hi. So, I mean, wh- where do we begin here? Well, what were your findings, and what are your recommendations?
2: Oh well, that's that's straight to the point. Good. Work. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in terms of findings, one of the first things they asked me to do was to, to advise them on a media policy, um, and then they gave me a, a fairly complicated framework where they asked me to look at media practices about accreditation and access all across the country. Which turns out never to have been done, even by anybody working on a master's thesis. I was quite surprised to sort of realize that. So, so I talked to a lot of people over over about a month, and it was pretty clear that other provinces don't actually have, like, provincial governments don't have a media policy that sort of it's not up to the government to control the media in any way they have their own internal communications policies and that's fine mm-hmm. so that's that was the very first recommendation mostly just to get it out of the way sort of just treat treat everybody with respect and let the media sort of do what they need to do and don't get in the way and and the government accepted all eight of the recommendations which was kind of gratifying other than that it's kind of a it's a bit of a boring report frankly i <laughs> I, I did my best to make it as lively as one can make the subject of media accreditation but um I think it boiled down to sort of four options if you, if you want to get into a legislature as a, as a reporter for a news conference. You can either have what the government here or the province here has had for some time, which is sort of a, And we're talking temporary accreditation. We're not... T- you see, it gets a bit complicated. We're not talking full-time membership in the press gallery, because that's pretty clear. The people who are in the press gallery govern themselves with certain rules and constitutions, and that's fine. But if if you or I wanted to go in because we had a blog or we were well, in your case you're working for for radio stations, but you're not you're down in Calgary and you're not up here all the time. What would we do? So it's been the convention here that you just sort of show up at the media at the security desk in the front. Say so you're with the news media and you get in, and that's one option, and it's worked okay for years. But I think as the um, the news media landscape is getting more and more and more fragmented. That puts a real um, responsibility on the security people to try to figure out who's who, and I'm not so sure. At least I wasn't convinced at the end of this process that they should have to do it themselves. So then the other options are to have the government do it, and pretty much everybody agreed that that's a non-starter. And then, sorry, I will wrap this up. But the but the other two options are sort of interrelated. You could have the press gallery make all the decisions. You could have the speaker's office through the legislative assembly make all of the decisions, or you could have the two of them work together, and that's. Pretty much what happens in Ottawa, in Parliament Hill, they've been around, their press gallery's been around for 150 years. I talked to a woman at the Tribune de la Presse in, uh, in Quebec City, and that's what they do. So my, my, I think my main recommendation after this long-winded sort of start boils down to saying that I think it would be ideal if the press gallery and the Speaker's office could sit down together and probably with some input from security and work something out. You want to get a word in? I can keep well, going. Okay. Well, no I, no, I think that's good.
1: And that, 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 that sets the stage for us. Here. But I, to, to clarify one point, that yeah. something you weren't asked to do was to, to review that original decision concerning the rebel media.
2: No, they took all the fun out of the mandate for me. <laughs> I, I was absolutely not asked to decide whether whether they'd been right or wrong about the rebel. But I think if you read the report and you read between the lines, I've, I've been surprised because I've kind of taken it on the chin from a lot of quarters. I, I've probably done a good job because almost everybody's a little unhappy with the report, and that's always a good sign in journalism, but mm-hmm. I've been accused of of, uh, of recommending that, that the media privatize, or the legislature media be privatized. I've been I've been accused of um, of saying we should have a censorship cabal and in fact, I, what I've done is taken the consensus position, which may be a bit wishy-washy, that's worked all across the country and said, well, if the press gallery... Here, the key is that the press gallery in Alberta says it's simply too busy to handle the temporary passes. Other provinces, a lot of them do. They just sort of say, well, we have the, the rights of being in the press gallery, so we're now going to take the responsibilities of helping with this other issue.
0: Right. And I mean, as far as the press gallery is concerned, we've heard from a few people who say they're not terribly um, happy to be made uh, the solution to a problem that they didn't create.
2: That's true. Yeah. Although it's also, and I, and I have sympathy with that position. I had sympathy with everybody's position while I wrote this, because that's the problem. Everybody makes a good point. But I think when you look at the fact that, that, yes, it's worked fine with just security for a while, but I think in this new world, there was pretty much consensus again across the country that Alberta had sort of accidentally taken the lead on this issue. The other press galleries were saying they were really looking forward to seeing sort of how everybody else handles it and how it should be handled going forward. And I'm still, I, I'm interested in this topic. I've, I've still got an open mind. And if you've got ideas, tell me, please. Or if your <laughs> listeners do. Because I'm not sure what the best solution is. This seems the best compromise. And it's certainly worked elsewhere and for a long time.
0: Right. So, I mean, you mentioned security in, in, in your, what you refer to as a long-winded uh, setup, <laughs> which <you> <laughs> we thought was quite comprehensive. But um, you, know, you mentioned security, right? One would just walk into the legislature, go to the security desk, Sam, with the media, and in you go. right. Um, and now, I, I guess that creates a problem in that uh, the security the desk will just look at these hundreds of people writing for all sorts of blogs coming in and saying, well, I don't know who this person is or what this person is. But that doesn't really accurately describe what the issue was with the rebel media. They didn't go in and say, you two from the rebel are a security threat. You're making this place unsafe. So to what extent is security a primary issue that you had to consider?
2: Well, it's a good question. It is, it's a, it's a, a primary issue for the legislatures all across the country, thanks to what happened on Parliament Hill and. Uh, and there have been some problems in the Alberta legislature over the years, they have to toughen up. Even when you go in, if I walk over there now and say I'm with the media, I still have to go through sort of an airport-like screening system. Right. So, so yes, it's an issue and it will be later. There's also the question about who, um, who, who gets to ask questions. If you let all sorts of people in saying, "Sure, you say your media go on in go on you know, you know, there 's a danger that the room size could be over that the room could become overcrowded and there 's the question of who gets to throw the questions at people and if you have sort of a din, then eventually you end up with a circus atmosphere now you 're asking me specifically about rebel and i wasn 't asked to rule on it, but I do, I do know a fair bit about the situation after talking to sort of every, everybody involved um, They were actually expelled in Calgary from the Royalty Review. As I've been told, because they tried to go to um, a stakeholders' uh, media. Sorry, there's a media room for for lockups generally, right. and there's yep. a stakeholders' room. Mm-hmm. And I'm told they tried to get into the stakeholders' room, and were asked to leave. When that's sort of a different thing. Um, here, up in Edmonton, Justin Trudeau was in town, and I'm told again that uh, that the Prime Minister's office asked for security to be tight and so they figured the best way to do that would be to take press gallery members only and there was confusion because uh... the rebels representative asked the press gallery how do i get accreditation the press gallery said you go through security the person shows up at security and isn't listed as a press gallery member and doesn't have anything specific and so is told to i guess one or two of them told to be on their way so it was just it was rather an unfortunate sort of snafu and but you can see how it, it it really did cut into the the edge of this problem.
1: Well, there's something deeper here. I mean, uh, you know, a reporter is one example of a journalist, but but a reporter is not the only form of journalism. You, you don't have to be a reporter to be a journalist.
2: No, you can be a cameraman for that matter. Well, and then, and then
1: that cuts to it. So, it's is is that a question you had to explore in all of this? Is is what constitutes a journalist?
2: Yes. The first section of my report quotes all kinds of people and their their view and definition of what a journalist is. And again. There is no consensus on that, and it's changing all the time. A few years ago, it would have been easy to say, you work for a TV station, radio station, newspaper, magazine, you're a journalist. Mm-hmm. But now, I, I kept posing the question to people, let's suppose I have a 1,000 people on my Twitter account, and let's suppose I want to go into a news conference and just send things out to them. Then should I be allowed to? And in a way, I think you could argue yes. Um, the parliamentary press gallery and it's very sort of um, well-thought-out, carefully enforced constitution, says you have to actually make money at journalism. And I'm not sure that that will withstand the test of time later, because if I want to tweet something out for free to a lot, maybe I have a million followers. Why can't I do that? So that's, that's why I think, I mean, some people have said this report was a waste of time and money. Some people said it shouldn't have been tackled. It was just the government's way of defending itself after sort of an embarrassing incident. But other people are sort of saying, especially across the province, especially outside Alberta, that, wow, I mean, there are a lot of these issues that we have to deal with. In Ottawa, the par- Parliamentary Gallery, they, they use a nice combination of sort of old rules and precedent, but they also are, they know that they need to evolve and they need to be sort of saying, well, what do we do with bloggers and what do we do with other people coming in? And they, they have a system where they, they grant sort of daily passes and over time, they have to prove they need the access. And if they can prove it and they're doing what they call legitimate reporting, then they get to come in. But they, you can't be a lobbyist and be a member of the Parliamentary Press Gallery. You can't be a militant. And after a while, I mean, how do you define a militant? <laughs> I, I, don't
1: know.
2: I, I don't know. I'm almost surprised I was able to distill all of these thoughts into any kind of framework to get a report out. Because there are just so many different different viewpoints. What have you been hearing?
1: Well, much like what you've been yeah. hearing. I think there, there seems to be real mixed reaction and... No, no, no obvious answer. I just, I, I wonder, are, are we trying to get ahead of the curve? Because the concern right now, it just seems like we, we don't necessarily have a problem
2: yet. No, and I think that that's a valid point and several people made it to me including the press gallery here sort of why mess with a system that's not broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and they may I mean in the end I said okay have the speaker in the press gallery and the and the sheriff and the premier's office all sit down and thrash this out and I said I told one of the members of the press gallery on the weekend hey I've made my recommendations it's not an ideal world it's the least unpalatable if you'll forgive that kind of weird way of putting it option but there's nothing stopping those four, four or three or two bodies getting together and sort of saying, mm, let's go back to the system we had.
0: Right. That's what so, sort of strikes me about all this. And hearing you explain it to us today, it's as though the government made a mistake, then they paid you some money to ask what you think about it, and then you've made some recommendations to which a lot of people will go, oh, what's the problem?
2: <laughs> yeah, except that I, I honestly have, after talking to as many people as I did, and I, my, my phone bill had 3,000 minutes of calls on it last <laughs> Last month, so you earned the so, money then. Cool. Well, talk, well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I say I talked to a lot of people. I, I, I really did, and it, it's not necessarily reflected in 37 pages plus the constitutions, but uh, but. I don't know. I just I think that I think the people outside were, were right when they were saying, "Wow, it's very interesting." I know Alberta, this is them talking. Alberta stumbled into this accidentally, but we're all trying to figure it out. The Saskatchewan legislature press gallery sort of people said that they, um, that they haven't uh, they haven't updated their constitution in several years and they're they're really struggling right now with definitions because they don't know particularly how to. And even if you look at the issue of bloggers and stop me if I'm boring you too much, but but um, a lot of the galleries don't let bloggers in. But in British Columbia, they had some fellow who had a lot of different contracts with different media organizations, and over time they fell away, but he still had his blog. But they liked him; they weren't going to kick him out, so they kind of <laughs> accidentally had a president.
1: Wow! So no, I think it is fascinating stuff, Heather, and uh, appreciate you making some time for us here this morning to explore all of this.
2: Well, and again, if any of your listeners have better ideas on this, they want to get in touch with me. People seem to be able to find me.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> so, you know, we if, if
0: yeah. they do, they're welcome to call right now. We're going to open the phone lines up and, uh, and okay. get some uh, some thoughts uh, from our audience on what you've just had to say.
2: All right. Well, great.
1: All right. Take care, Heather. Thanks again.
2: Okay. Take All care, right. both of you. Bob. All
1: right. There you go, Heather Boyd, uh, former Western Canada bureau chief for the Canadian Press and author of this this report. Which, uh, again, yeah, I mean, the, it's posted on the government website. If anyone's curious to read
0: it. Yeah, you just got the inside track uh, from, from uh, behind the scenes on what was going on there. Heather Boyd was tasked by the government uh, with this uh, with this. Project, basically, to to have a look, I guess not specifically at what went wrong in this instance, what the government did uh, uh, to the rebel media in kicking them out of the lockup uh, here in Calgary, but just uh, to to, to sort of look at the policy in general and how things should be going forward. She's made her recommendations in the press gallery. (laughs) It doesn't seem overly thrilled with them. But now it's uh, it's it's up to you, and it, I think it's it's interesting. I appreciate her candor and, and her candidly asking. Look, if you got better
1: ideas, let me know. No, she's good luck. I mean, yeah. you know, people kind of dump it on her because uh, that th- we we spent money to do this. She, I mean, she didn't work for the government before. She's a former journalist. Yeah. Yeah, gets a call from the government, says, "Look, we got a ninety five hundred dollar contract. We want you to do this for us." It's like, well, okay, sure, I'll I'll do that. I mean. <laughs> Who wouldn't. Who so wouldn't? I, I don't know, I have a problem with the, the fact that she did. I mean, that the government felt the need to ask for it. Yeah, I, again, it seems like a, a, a solution in search of a problem. Yeah, that's the
0: point. Uh, did the government need to ask for it? Let, let's take a break here and get your thoughts on this. You can text us at 77770. But, hey, well, you know, we're good, guys. We like to chat. 974-8255. It's Kaden Breckenridge on News Talk 770.
1: All right, our telephone number, 974 You can text us, seven seventy seven seventy. Uh I mean, is this something that's of concern at all to the, the average Albertan, right? People get information in a lot of different ways. And I like the point that Heather made about if someone's got a considerable following on Twitter, why, why, why shouldn't they be considered effectively a journalist? Like, what if Heather's recommendations are that the government needs to do a lot more live streaming of news conferences? That way there's not such a need for people to feel like they got to go and show yeah. up. Uh, so, yeah, because you can do that right now. If the government's streaming a news conference, anyone can get on Twitter or Facebook and say, the government's announcing uh, $400 million for this new initiative. What a waste of money. And uh, now the minister just said something really stupid. And anyone can do that. And what's wrong with that?
0: So the the, the thing is that this stems from a lockup, right, which is a little bit different than just a, a news conference or, you know, press conference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the way lockups go, lo- lockups are a little bit mysterious. People think it's just, you know, they give you the the, the book or whatever it is, the budget. Yeah, hey, actually, here, we got a budget coming down this week. So uh, here's what happens in this budget lockup, right? All the the press corps that, that are attending, they're invited. They go into the lockup. Uh, they leave their phones at the door. And um, uh, they lock the door. And you're inside there with the budget. You can read through the book. And then there's all kinds of economists and experts that the government has made available that you can ask questions to to get clarity on. There's an embargoed press conference with these people, and, and, and so it goes. So you're not just sitting in this reading room bored to tears for four hours. This is a place where the journalists get work done so that when uh, the we see Trudeau and Morneau and other people whose names are walking down the stairs with their thumbs up, holding the books saying, this is a great budget, we're going to be so in debt and then they, get, they step up to the microphone, then all those reporters can hit send on their emails and they can publish stuff simultaneously.
1: Yeah, those but, stories are ready to go.
0: Yeah. So that's how the, the lockup works. Now, if, you're just a, if you've got a million followers on Twitter and you want to put yourself in one of these uh, lockups, then, uh, yeah,
1: absolutely you should be allowed to because you're going to be reporting on it. Right. I, so I, I don't have a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Now, because even if you go back to the security issue, let's say it's an established media outlet, right? Let, you know, if, if someone is a security risk, it shouldn't be enough just for them to show up at security and say, oh, hey, I'm, I'm with the CBC. Well, how do you know that they're with the CBC? How do you know that even if they are with the CBC, they, they, they don't represent some kind of threat? So I don't know that, that simply having the, the press gallery vet these people is enough to address whatever potential security risk might exist. I, I can understand the point that this is a challenge for security when you've got people showing up and saying, you know, I'm from uh, newsinfo.com and I'm here to cover the... News conference. Well, how does the security know who who you are or what you what you're doing there? So I'm not, I'm not sure what the answer is uh, because you know you can't do a, an on the spot background check of this person. Right.
0: Yeah. If they come up and say, "I work at KY6," we just broke that news about Matt Damon <laughs> moving right. to Calgary. Can <laughs> I get in here and cover this?
1: But they, so, but they seem like separate questions. Are you with an illegitimate news agency versus are you secretly here to kill somebody? Because <laughs> if you know if you I mean let's say you're an ISIS terrorist and then you want to cause some some harm. So yeah, you show up at security and say I'm with uh, you know I'm with CBC. Uh CBC, let's see. Oh yeah, CBC that's on there they're an approved uh, news agency. So uh yeah, go ahead. So that that's different than accreditation. That's well who are these people? You'd roll up and say, I'm with the uh,
0: ISIS News. <laughs>
1: That's
0: right. Come I mean, in there and report, please. So, I mean, in, in speaking with Heather Boyd, though, and, and not to, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm taking a shot at her. I'm certainly not. But it sounds like an entirely unnecessary exercise then. I mean, if the government didn't want her opinion on how they responded to the situation, on, on barring one person from the lockup and then going into the lockup to get her colleague and kick her out, which is what they did. I mean, if the government didn't want her to comment on that, then, then they missed out on half of the value of this entire exercise. Because to hear from somebody who was a bureau chief for Western Canada, Canadian press, say, okay, here's, let me explain to you the gravity of the mistake that you made, then that's, that's the lesson that the government had to learn. Mm-hmm. But the entire exercise was completely unnecessary because if all they wanted to do was get her opinion for $10,000... They could save us all a lot of money and just said, um, can, can someone Google what they do in other places? <laughs> because they were basically well, that's what she did. Yeah, they were asking Heather for her industry expertise, right? They, they could have got this from her over a cup of coffee. Seriously, Rachel Notley or Cheryl, it's anybody in the government or, or, or uh, in the offices could have sat down with a journalist and gone, what do, you, what do they do in Ottawa? And they would have got that information for free. And so oftentimes, governments will strike a committee when they could just look around the room. And that's what they did here. They, they hired an expert. They gave her, what, a couple of uh, months to basically get this thing done. Cost uh, Albertans $10,000. And I think we got a good report out of it. I'm, I'm, Heather Boyd put her best into it. And you know she put her back into it. I, she gave us some great recommendations, no doubt. But... The whole exercise was unnecessary. They could have just said, you know what, from now on, we won't decide who covers our press conferences. And that's when the press gallery, the press corps, would have stepped up and said, we need to regulate this somehow.
1: Well, it's interesting. because She says the, the government has accepted her recommendations, but it's not entirely clear what they're going to do because she offers a couple of different solutions. Suggesting that the legislature press gallery could uh, be the ones in charge of issuing that, that day-to-day accreditation. They say they they don't really have the resources to deal with that. So she says, well, maybe we could set something up. Maybe you'd have some staff that are funded by the the speaker's office and, and they could do this on behalf of the press gallery. So what's the solution going to be here? And do we need to spend now even more money to deal with something that, again, does not seem to be a problem in the first place?
0: All right, we're going to pause now for the news to 10.30. When we come back, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines. Just an open phone segment. uh, Because we get so many requests for them, you see. uh, People who want us to do more open line segments on this program. And so we're giving it to you. 974-8255. There's certainly a lot going on. Uh, We've got uh, our own budget coming up uh, next month, I believe, Rob. And then we've got this federal budget that will come down tomorrow. Yeah. Where we'll find out that um, the more deficit, the better.
1: Well, apparently <laughs> we've got a by-election happening in, in Calgary tomorrow as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, stakes are high, I think, in, in Calgary Greenway. So we can talk a bit more about that. And, and certainly, I mean, we're getting a lot of text on, on this issue of, uh, you know, who and what is a journalist and, and who gets to decide that. So we can continue that conversation. Uh, we'll read some of these texts. But if you want to vocalize your, your texts, you can uh, call us up, 974-8255. And uh, rather than us read our text, you can read your own text.
0: All right. We'll be back after the news to 10.30. It's Kinkade and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Hey, welcome back. Because we're in that uncertain precipitation zone, a, a clear broth is the soup of the day today. Yep. Clear broth. Uh, and <laughs> hey, this is what happens when we do the weather, okay? not Not a meteorologist in the room. Uh, but we yeah. do have fun with it. Uh, you're listening to the Kate and Breckenridge show. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Uh, we're going to focus our conversation for the next half hour on television in Canada. And here's a, here's a question. This is the, this the the question I pose to put you in the frame of mind for what we're about to talk about. When's the last time you sat down on the couch and you grabbed the clicker or, if you're a dude, the remote, and you said... I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say like that. A clicker or uh, a remote or if you're my mom, the clicker. And you turn on the TV and you thought to yourself, I'm going to watch a television program that is Canadian, and I'm only going to watch it because it is Canadian.
1: Well, I, I, would, I would hazard a guess on that. But has, has that ever been the case? I, I don't know. I, I mean, do, do people appreciate... Uh, Canadian stores, if, you know, if you get, you're going to watch the news, right, remember, I think we still have the Spokane affiliate. If you have the, the, the choice between watching, you know, Global or CTV Calgary 6 o'clock news, or watching the KHQ...
0: Oh, yeah, Randy Shaw, every time. Spokane, Coeur hey, <laughs> No flies on Gord Gillies. Really? Gord, I know you're listening. Love you, But Randy Shaw, come on.
1: Right. I mean, people... <laughs> do want Canadian television. That's why, uh, you know, Lisa LaFlamme and CTV News, it's one of the top rated uh, shows in the country each and every week. But beyond that, if you look at the ratings in Canada, there's a lot of American shows. Is it because we don't want to watch Canadian drama, Canadian comedies? Is it because the networks aren't giving us Canadian content that we want to watch?
0: Can I? Can, I, I hate to let the cat out of the bag so early in a segment, but it's because American television is better. And the reason it's better is because it's a different model and they've got way, way, way more failures than uh, Canadian programs do. In Canada, you just green light a show because, A, you can get grant money. B, you got to create some Canadian content. Like there's so many reasons to put a TV show on television in Canada um, that have nothing to do with how good it is. And next year, you'll go through the cycle again. So you can just go ahead and cancel the crappy ones or cancel the good ones as the case may be. But in the States, you take a lot more, you throw a lot more darts at that board and uh, you hit more bullseyes that way.
1: Right. So do we need to distinguish between Canadian news, sports, reality and and focus just on drama and comedy? Because there are Canadian television products, Canadian television shows that do well. But I think when people talk about Canadian television, they zero in on on comedy and drama because supposedly that's where the culture is going to be. Saved or, or advanced somehow. That's why we're having this conversation, by the way,
0: is because we, we've been trying to figure out how to save uh, cable or how to make cable television better for Canadians, and and we've, uh, we've had conversations at the government level about what we can do to preserve Canadian culture and save Canadian TV, and I think it's a bunch of bogus. But let's bring Greg David into this conversation. He's a television critic partner at TVA.com. That's tv E H. Dot com. Greg, we've had you on before, and it's uh, our pleasure to have you back. How are you?
3: Well, I'm I'm great, and I'm so glad that you finally unmuted my microphone because I can't wait to talk about this. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> we're glad to have you. Well, what got us to uh, you know, the jumping off point was this piece from the weekend, John Doyle in the Globe and Mail, mm-hmm. uh, arguing that Canadian TV is a place of squalor and neglect. So, with that as a starting point, Greg, how, how do you assess the landscape?
3: Okay. Well- Oh, okay. So let's start off with, I I respect John Doyle. I've met John Doyle, and we've talked about television together. I I think that that using the term slum is, uh, I, I think it's in this age of social media, you know, the 10th anniversary of Twitter. I think that when you use words like that, that gets a lot of page views. Uh, but I want to go back to the beginning when you guys first started this segment. and You said, you know, when was the last time you sat down in, and in front of the TV with the clicker or the remote and said, I'm going to watch some Canadian TV? Um, I can't remember, guys, the last time I sat down and said, I want to watch some American TV. That's my point. People just people just sit down and they want to watch good TV no matter what country it's coming from. You know, we have Netflix. Now we can watch watch stuff from, uh, from overseas. And, and there's just a lot of good TV out there. Uh, so you know, I just kind of want to get those that out of the out of the way first um, before we kind of delve more into the whole business of it. And, and you also talked about the U.S. and it's really hard to compare the two countries because it's it, you know it's mostly unfair because of the the number you know the population difference, the amount of money that's being poured into television down in the states. We, we definitely can't compete, and I think. The interesting thing for me and the thing that I always tell people is that Canada continues to make great TV. Yes, there are failures out there, definitely. I'm not going you know, to talk about rainbows and, and unicorns and say that everything's fantastic, but we make some pretty good to great television here in this country, despite the handcuffing that there is by the, the lack of money uh, in this country and the fact that um, they need to go to, the, you know, to government, local and, and, uh, and, and federal, to get grants to make television.
0: Right, I think, and you're kind of addressing the problems. I mean, I agree with you, right? No, I've never yeah. sat down either, and I've said I'm going to watch Downton Abbey because it's British. <laughs> right, I like that show because it was a really good show, yeah. and I didn't care where it came from, and I don't care where my entertainment comes from, provided it's entertaining to me, and I, and that's obviously first and foremost in the minds of of uh, people who are turning on the set. Um, but so that's why I don't understand why we hear these people stand up before government committees and go, Canadians value Canadian produced television shows. We clearly don't. We just want to watch stuff that's entertaining.
3: Yeah, and, and, I, and I cringe a little bit when people get up and say those same things because, you know, there isn't anybody. You know, I, I write about this industry, and you won't hear me talking, you know, you know, speaking that way and saying, you know, we've got to watch something because it's, it's, it's um, you know, people value Canadian TV. You already mentioned Lisa Laflamme. People value news. That's You know, that's why Lisa Laflamme is... is And uh, the CTV Evening News is is near the top of the ratings every single week. Um, I think the other thing is, and the big challenge here in this country is, because we have such a limited budget when it comes to making television shows, um, that we can't make those gambles like you said in the states where they can make all kinds of shows and just kind of throw them at a bullseye and hope that something sticks there isn't the money here in canada to to make those gambles so the networks have to be really careful with what they put uh, their money into they we know that cop dramas do well here in canada so and that's why you see so many cop dramas being made in this country people like them Uh, a show like murdoch mysteries does so well in this country because we like historical dramas. We like to tune in and and check that kind of stuff out so they canadian networks can't make the gambles that they can in the states because there isn't the money to make those gambles uh so they only you know they only have enough money to make uh you know two or three uh at the most new programs every year while putting money into the stuff that's coming back uh, several years along the line.
1: Is there a, a stigma though around Canadian television that people take that to mean something, and that maybe people aren't giving shows a fair shake because I think, oh, that's that's a Canadian show.
3: Oh, sure, absolutely. That's been that's been an argument for for decades, and I think the only uh, I remember back when Corner Gas debuted, and people would say, hey, this is a really funny show. For a Canadian show, uh, but I think that you know a little bit of that was was shed when Corner Guys came out. Uh, but I, I always think it's it's a bit of the complex that we have living in this country, don't uh, that we have, isn't it? That we're always comparing ourselves to, to other countries. So I think that we kind of have it ingrained in us that maybe we, you know, we. We'd like to think that we're good enough, but maybe we're not. But I think that, you know, I already mentioned a show like Murdoch Mysteries. You know, there's a program um, on CBC called X Company, and I would put that up against Band of Brothers any day because it's a Canadian story about our role in the Second World War. Uh, I would take a show like 192, a gritty cop drama there that airs on Bravo. I would put that up against anything on HBO down in the U.S. The storytelling's there, the characters are there, and the writing is there. And I love I love those shows just as much as I love the American ones. But I think that you know there may not be a. Uh, there certainly isn't a level playing field when it comes to the money being put behind these shows, but there's certainly, I think, a level playing field when it comes to the writing and when it comes to the casting and, uh, and the performances that we're getting out of the, the talent here in this country.
0: Yeah, I would argue that per capita we have just as, uh, just as quality talent, if not higher quality talent, that they're putting yep. up in the U.S., but we, all, we don't have 23-person writing rooms. No,
3: no, we right? don't. I mean, you look at a show like Nineteen Two; that's two guys. You look at a show like X Company and there's six. You look at a show like Murdoch Mysteries, you know, undoubtedly, um, you know, the highest rated scripted show in Canada right now. And they've got, I think, eight. You look at a show like, um, you know, Supergirl down in the States and they've got 15 to 20. So, yeah, not a level playing field at all when it comes to
0: that. I'd like to send our producer, Rob, by the way, to, uh, uh, I'd like to send Andrea to like an American talk radio program. And then she'd say, oh, I produce the whole show. Um, by myself, <laughs> exactly. and they'd be like, "My God, what are you, ma- Superwoman?"
1: Well, that's part of it, but, but uh, part of it. But putting aside, you know, the, the obvious cost differences, like, you know, think a show like Game of Thrones, which <laughs> is obviously insanely expensive, and you know, I'm sure no Canadian network would do that, but. You couldn't. There wouldn't be a Canadian equivalent to that because it, it. Sometimes it does seem as though that it's like. Well, what are you offering? That that's reflective of Canadian culture. Like there has to be a Canadian concept baked in that you couldn't pitch a show like Game of Thrones to a Canadian network because it's like. Well, what's the Canadian angle? How is that uh, reflective of Canadian culture? As opposed to, this is a real cool show and people are going to like watching it.
3: Yeah, you know, and I, I agree to a certain extent with that, although we are kind of getting away from that, uh, from the whole thing where it's Canadian content that's being shown on screen. Uh, you know, Vikings is a Canadian co-production between this country and Ireland. Uh, so that could mm-hmm. be, you know, some people say that that's, you know, our version of Game of Thrones, although, you know, certainly not, um, you know, when it comes to dragons and, and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the shows like uh, there's an upcoming um, supernatural drama called Winona Earp that's coming up that's going to be broadcast here in Canada on CHCH. And that's a, that's a CanCon show, but it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, with Canadian culture because it's based on a comic book. Where we're getting the CanCon is the cast, the writers, the showrunner, the directors, and, and the people that work in the crew, and the people that work in the writers' room. So things, you know, when it comes to CanCon, it isn't necessarily just that the stories are Canadian, but it's also the people behind the scenes are Canadian as well.
1: Right, but the
0: fact that the stories are Canadian, that definitely plays into it. I mean, anybody who gets all the way through the credit reel on a Canadian show sees the amount of grants or, or which governments, yep. which organizations have put cash into this and it seems to me that if you're a network and you're looking to fulfill your or to fill out your content quota Uh, And you step up and you say, look, I got two ideas for a show. One is about four nerds. They all live in an apartment. They all go to the University of Toronto. Some of them are professors. Some of them are postgraduate students. There's this hot babe who lives next door. They're all into comic books and playing Dungeons and Dragons together. But then the other one's about, like, two Innu brothers who hunt narwhal. Like, I've just described Canadian Big Bang Theory to you, which is the most popular sitcom in this country. But the latter's the one that would get produced because it's a more Canadian story.
3: Yeah, and and again it, it kind of harkens back to the fact that we have the US right next to us. I mean, people um they they are going to go for those stories that should, the uh, you know over a Canadian story. Um absolutely, but I think, you know, part of it is is you know, educating and and telling people to check these shows out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Canadian history that's being shown um, you know, programming-wise here in there's ca- in this country. There's one coming up called Frontier that's all about the fur traders. Now, See, you couldn't get any more quintessentially Canadian right. than, a, than a drama series about about fur traders. But on the other hand, I mean, it is showing an important part of Canadian history that, that goes beyond the textbooks. And, and admittedly, the stuff that I failed to learn when I was in grade nine and grade 10 history class.
1: <laughs> I like that. Well, and that's the thing. And, it, and it's possible that if a show like that is well done, you know, people will, will be drawn to it. But it, it gets back to the point you made earlier, Greg, where there's there's a lot of inherent risk in that and you know it's a lot easier to just rely on something established or you know to to just keep using that that American TV pipeline and say well you know it's a lot safer to run Big Bang Theory than it is to take a risk on on something like that
3: yeah absolutely I mean you like you know Big Bang Theory is a top show here in Canada and it's American show so it's far safer for a network like Bell Media or a a company like Bell Media to to shell out the money for the broadcast rights because they know they know that there's a built-in audience I mean you know these companies aren't stupid. They're in the business to make money, and uh, so if you can throw some money at an American show and it's going to guarantee you millions, uh, you know I think in some cases uh, for Big Bang Theory this season they've been close to four million, um, you know as opposed to 1.7 million for Murdoch Mysteries. So if you if you're going to get those ratings every week and you're going to get that number of eyeballs, I mean you're absolutely smart to do that. Um, meanwhile, uh, you're using some of that money hopefully to foster talent here in this country and to produce other programming. Um, uh, Bell media right now is filming a Canadian show called Cardinal up in Sudbury so you know they use some of that money uh, plus the grant money that they get to make to make the homegrown stuff but I totally agree with you um, you know it's easier to uh, take this money and buy the American stuff but I, I, what I'd like to see and I think that it is changing is that more money is being put into uh, Canadian made stuff and that they're starting to push the boundaries and not necessarily make them all about you know a couple of guys uh, you know hunting narwhal that that we can kind of some more interesting stories.
0: Like uh, hey, that would be traders. pretty cool, though. <laughs> well, yeah, t- like narwhals are a pretty splendid beast when you see one, though. You
1: know what? Yeah. I think
0: that needs to be a reality show. You need to pitch that.
1: Okay, I'm on it. You be. think you should? <laughs> All right, Greg, we'll leave it there more at uh, TVA.com. That's TV-EH.com. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate oh, this.
3: Thank you. I-, I appreciate the chance to talk about this.
1: All right, take care. Greg David, uh, with, uh, he's a television critic partner at TVA.com, uh, which, uh, as the name implies, uh, focuses on the Canadian TV industry.
0: Let's take a break right here. Uh, we'll come right back with more thoughts on this matter. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge, News Talk seven seventy.
1: All right, Roger. I'll make a confession. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Can we get the music turned down for the we confession? We had please? Uh, ahead, confess. Eugene Levy on this program, True story. which is pretty cool to interview him. He's yeah. on a, on a show called Schitt's Creek. Yeah. That's on CBC, right? Also airs on some network in the U.S. I've not watched it, and one of the reasons I, I've, I've avoided watching is because I, I still have it in my head that this is a Canadian TV show. Right. And as, as much as it's been praised by so many different people, I just, I'm like, I probably won't like it. And so, I don't know, is that irrational at, uh, at some level on my part? It, it probably is. Yeah, it
0: gets really, really good reviews. But can I try and let you off the hook? Is part of the reason you don't watch it because you're not a fan of the format? Like how many sitcoms do you watch? Uh, Maybe many. it's not a sitcom. It's not like a three-camera sitcom, but thirty-minute comedies. Do you watch a lot of them? Because you don't watch Archer either. Now, Archer is the funniest show. Look at that. Everybody that we talk. Is that to... Canadian? Oh, uh, yes. I'm the voice. No, it's not. It's an American <laughs> okay. show. It's on FX. But it's like it's it's hysterically funny, and I'm actually stunned that you haven't watched a, an episode of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't. That's a greater sin, by the way. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Could be. So I watch, um, yeah, like I, I, going back to this, the thesis that I laid down at the start of it, I don't watch any shows because they're Canadian. And I don't think I ever have. Even when I really loved Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High, but not Degrassi The Next Generation or whatever it was That's called. Terrible. Yeah. I watched those shows because I thought they were relevant to me because I was entertained by them, but never because they were Canadian. Well, what
1: about SCTV? I mean, SCTV was Canadians making a show in Canada. Right, but you watched it because it was funny. Exactly. Yeah. And that's well, my that whole that should be point. the idea. I mean, a lot of people text and say, hang on here, Trailer Park Boys, that's iconic. It's a cult classic. And even now it's on Netflix and Americans are getting into Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's another good example. The uh, someone else texts to say, Young Drunk Punk, which uh, uh, someone Chris else McCullough. we interviewed. Yeah, we got yes. to interview him. That was people great. Like that.
0: You know, it, the problem for me comes down to this, is that w- when an American TV network is trying to decide whether or not they're going to have the show on TV, Survivor, they look at it and they go, are people going to like this? Will they watch it? Can we sell advertising? That's, that's the test. But in, a, in Canada, when you're pitching shows to networks, one of the questions they ask is, how can we pay for this? Who can we get to give us money to pay for this? Yeah. And that should never come into the equation because
1: it completely changes
0: uh, uh, the likelihood of getting quality programming on TV.
1: It's just do we trust our networks? Do we trust the CBC? I love The Sopranos and a Canadian version where essentially Tony Soprano was a Montreal mobster instead of a New Jersey mobster, the show would work. Not but Tony. do I trust the CBC to execute it? No, I don't.
0: <laughs> hey, that does it for us today. Thanks very much for listening to our 100% Made in Canada radio talk show. <laughs> it, it's like uh, Rush Limbaugh, Canada. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow at 9.30. See you then. It's King Caden Breaking Ridge on News Talk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Brickenridge, weekdays starting at 9.30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.